This is the Inspire Radio Podcast, featuring inspirational and thought-provoking interviews from guests around the world who have already featured on Inspire Radio. Inspire Radio broadcasts 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Check us out at inspireradio.co.uk. But right now, sit back and enjoy another inspirational and thought-provoking podcast brought to you by the team at Inspire Radio. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome to Inspired Conversations with me, Ruth Owen. My guest today is Rusty Leahy, who hails from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. She's the chief editor, wordsmith and more to authors, both aspiring and established in both the personal and the business space. Her company, WordQuest, and her mission are here to help authors find their voice. Well, we very much hope that you found your voice for us today, Rusty. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Ruth. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so lovely of you to join us all the way from Canada. How's the weather over there? It's pretty rainy. It's kind of like your standard weather there today. But we do have some really good weather coming up this weekend, and I'll probably hop in my bike and take my journal and pen and my backpack and some snacks and go ride along in our river valley. Fantastic. Sounds wonderful. Tell me how you got into editing. How did that come about? It's always been a love of words for me ever since I was a pen pal in my childhood, picking up pen pals all the way from Edmonton, Alberta to Mexico on a road trip. And I would ask my mother, what do I write when I had all these addresses of people to write all over the world? And she'd say, write about the chicks, write about the goslings that you have to tuck into their little wool socks at night behind the stove when winter storms come too late or the goslings are hatched too early. So it's always been a love of words, my own, and then others, and reading. And then I discovered I could never read a book without editing. And then I worked with a few authors, and then a few more, and a few more. And I developed an interesting style of working with them that I call collaborative immersion editing, where we work side by side in the same document in a Zoom call, if we're across the world, or on my couch, or common meeting place. And that way, then they're the part of a process all the way through instead of them handing me their manuscript and I go off and I work all over it and then they are waiting eagerly for it and then they get it back and they're kind of crushed because they thought they were done. So it's a wonderful process to work side by side. And is this a a new kind of process of editing or do other editors do that? I don't know if other editors do it. I decided to do it that way because there was always this lag that, you know, people would give me their manuscript and it's this big project. And to create that flow that Stephen Kotler talks about, that is that magical place to be where time just seems to disappear and you're just really in the zone, in your zone of genius. And for me as an empath coming to that term late in life, it just felt so natural to do it that way as opposed to the author waiting, 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 me finding the time to do it and finding the energy to do it without their energy there with me with their words. It just developed organically for for me. And then the authors loved it and I continued doing it. And it's been working now with authors in England and Australia and Germany and all over the place. So many authors. It's awesome. And how do you find the authors that you want to work with? Do they find you? Do you go out and look for them? How does it work? 
mostly they find me lately they've done just turning up in seemingly a synchronous kind of way and it's a little bit of word of mouth i worked with authors through mind valley and then just the word spread and it was pretty amazing so thanks to the ignite publishing house too giving me a chance to work with many of their authors it's just been growing and growing oh so you were the editor for the ignite series Yes, at the beginning, and then it was just like, turn it over to the editors they have now and create my own space and time for working with authors on the longer projects that I love and their books that they wanted to get out and that it's just been kind of tough for authors to think, how do I do this longer book or how do I, how do I trust it to an editor somewhere? So this is where my heart lies, is working with them on their longer projects. It must be quite daunting if you have a a script that you've been working on for a long time. And as authors often report, they've sent their script out to hundreds or dozens or maybe a handful of of editors, but they get rejected. And how, how difficult is it for authors to find their voice and for their script to be taken seriously and developed into what it can be? It's very challenging for authors to go the traditional publishing route. And I've been in the professional writing field since 1999 and joining the Professional Writers Association of Canada in 2003, which is now melded into another organization. I was part of the board for them when we decided to switch to allowing self-published authors to be professional members of the association. And there are a number of things that they needed to do to be able to meet that qualification. The number of sales, uh, having it professionally edited, along with a, a number of other attributes that they had to meet or steps and parts of the process. So it's become quite respectable now. It's no longer called a vanity press to be self-published. And there are so many avenues for people to do what I call guerrilla marketing. There's actually a book by that title, but there's lots of tips and tricks that I offer authors to be able to figure that out for themselves on how they best want to go forward. So some of my authors do try the traditional publishing route first, and then I offer them sample query letters that we work out to really magnify the benefits and the perks and the the qualities of their book specifically to the publishers that suit their their audience and if they try that way and then there's no success we can come back and look at the self-publishing route so do you have a number of publishers that you work with or, or is your job to edit the script and then find a publisher is that how it works It's really up to the authors, but I help them source out the publishers that are suitable to their genre or their manuscript. I will help them then write the query letters to the publishers, but I have no say with the publishers. I have loads of suggestions for authors, but I get them through the process where they have a book that they can feel proud of and then submit out for publication, or they can go the route where I have typesetters and designers that will help them do the Kindle direct publishing, the online, and then the print versions. And do you find that online publishing and self-publishing is becoming more the norm now, or are there still a great deal of authors who want to go the traditional route? 
there are authors that would love to go the traditional route, but some of the things that I've encountered with when I was a member of the Get Publishing Communication Society and we would have a conference every second year, there were two authors one time that were kind of battling it out on a panel. One was saying for the self-published and, and the e-version, not having a hard copy book, and the other one was still wanting the traditional and promoting. And they both had equal points of benefit, so it depends but it is becoming more standard to go the self-publishing route. And then there are several things that a self-published author can do to have their book noticed. And then sometimes they are picked up by a traditional publisher. But the money that you make from traditional publishing can be significantly less if you know how to do your own marketing, if you know how to promote your book, if you are willing to do the work that is almost more than the writing of the book that comes after. And traditional publishers expect you to do a lot of that work yourself these days as well. In terms of what? What is What do they consider to be marketing your own book? Traditional publishers will not look at you unless you have a social media following, unless you already have some hype built around your work. And then they expect you to do a lot of your marketing. They expect you to put on a lot of your launches. It's only the really, really big names that get the wined and dined and get toured around for their book launches. It sounds like a very tough competition, really, to get any book out there. It is. It is. And so there are the rewards of doing it in a small way and then bigger and bigger. And there, there are some novel and innovative ways to do it. Like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki shot to fame only after they put their books in a service station. And the guy said, well, I don't sell books. And they said, exactly. That's why we want to put them here. And then some Texan picked up a few of their books and then phones them up with this South Texan drawl, which I cannot do, and uh, said, how many of those books you got? And they'd printed a thousand and they'd only sold about three or four. And he said, well, we have like 995 left. And they said, I'll take them all. <laughs> he turned out to be a big wig for Amway and used them all for the Amway, the multi-level marketing people that were coming into the Amway program. But that's how they got out there and then made their, their fortune and made their fame with that. So there are unique ways. Like for some people that might have a history book, well, then it would be really great if they did some touring around their own province or countryside county to have some of their books put into little country and town museums. There's always these little bookstores or gift stores, gift shops and little museums. And that might be a way that I would suggest guerrilla marketing for that type of genre. The book you were talking about with Robert Kiyosaki, was that Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yes, I failed to mention the title. I just, you know, know his name. I think it's universal, but you're right. That's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's how they did that. He was writing a brochure because they had, they started out with the game cash flow. And his wife said, we need a brochure. And are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? And the brochure turned out to be the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's an amazing book, actually. It really redefines how we should think about wealth and money and what's good about it rather than putting it in in the bad corner. Yes, exactly. There's another book I read a long time ago that was called Your Money or Your Life by Joe Dominguez and Vicki Robin. It was also a really good book to wake us up to what is enough. There's enough for everybody. What are your downfalls? And they called it a gazingus pin. It was a funny word. They made up a word that everybody has things that they 
have a compulsion to buy and they really asked you to look at what you're spending on what you're spending your life energy on what you're spending your hard-earned dollars on and whether or not you're actually even driving further to work than you need to do every day giving up that life energy and how can you make your life more in a, a smaller circle so that you have more life energy and time to spend on the things you love rather as opposed to earning a living that's keeping you just over broke Wow, how appropriate is that in these times? Now that people <laughs> now that people are forced to work from home mostly and I think everybody is reevaluating their lives. So would you think Rusty that more people will be thinking about writing a book? I believe so because you know just like there is the the philosophy that I ascribe to uh, from Shakti Gawain was the first one that introduced it to me is that there is enough for everybody. The problem isn't that there isn't enough. The problem is that, that there's a lack of a sharing attitude, a belief in supporting each other and believing that, that we each have a passion and a skill and something to offer that is uniquely ours. That's a lovely, lovely thought. And everybody is an individual and everybody has a story to tell, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. My favorite saying that I have been saying for years is if you've lived and breathed, you have a story and someone is waiting for that story. And I hazard a guess and possibly even a bet that there are more than one someone, more than one person waiting for your story. That's an incredible message to have. And what kind of authors do you prefer to work with? How do you choose who you work in such close association with? First of all, I offer them a sample edit that we spend some time together doing a sample edit. So they pick 10 pages or a chapter of their book. And then we look at it together so that they can see how I work with it and how they respond to me then in the editing. And in that process, I teach them how to argue with an editor, how to fire an editor, because the relationship between a writer and an editor is like a marriage, Ruth. And it, there's no real boss but with the book, the real boss, if we're going to go there, is the audience. And so when an editor and the writer are discussing a part that, that I or an editor thinks there's maybe something missing or it can be improved upon, and the writer is absolutely in love with that, then we turn to what does the audience need? What is the audience getting from this? What do you want the audience to get from this? Because neither the writer or the editor are standing there over the reader's shoulder helping them out on the page what the author meant by that. So it's a wonderful process to sit there with them and do that. And then if I have a passion for the material, then that's a sign to me to go ahead. If we work well together and communicate well together, that's a sign to me to go ahead. And then after that, I, I strongly advise them to to sit with it, to talk to another editor, to decide for themselves what feels right for their next step with their book. And many choose me and we, we proceed. There are times that I have referred authors to other people because I felt that I wasn't the right editor. I need to have a passion for the project and for their words, almost in the same way that they do, so that then we can create that synergy and that flow uh, of working together. So that flow and that energy of their, their words then shows up in the finished project. And is it always the case that when you work closely with somebody, that that book then gets published and becomes successful in whatever terms you define success? 
Mm, that's a tough question because how does each author define success for themselves? Uh, I know that one of my authors right now is um, taking a break from the next steps that I offer in my program to seek traditional publishing. So she has query letters out in several places. There are no guarantees in, in this world, even though I do believe that the only way to predict the future is to create it, that sometimes we might guess wrong about what the date is for a certain thing, or we might guess wrong what the outcome is, and then we do our affirmations or manifesting and our planning all over again. The point is to not give up. Let's take a break. We'll be back shortly after this. Be happy, be inspired. With inspirational guests from across the world, this is Inspire Radio. Attention, please. We at HealthSpan would like to tell you something that, quite possibly, you didn't already know. Not all supplements are created equal. I know. Who'd have thought? We travel the entire globe to find the best ingredients for our vitamins and supplements, from the southern slopes of India for our turmeric to the cold, crisp seas of Greenland for our cod liver oil. Because that's the HealthSpan way. Well, there you go. It's not every day you learn something new, is it? We're HealthSpan. That's healthspan.co.uk. Vitamins and supplements, in-store or direct to your door. This is Inspire Radio. Hello and welcome back to Inspired Conversations. I'm talking to Rusty Lehay about publishing. And you put as much passion into their projects as they do themselves. So do you have any manuscripts that you've been working on? And do you have any published books yourself? I am in collaborations with uh, poets. One group, uh, there were four women and one man and that book was called the book of women's mysteries and one man's confusion that was a really fun book <laughs> that's a great fun. title <laughs> it is and it's really a great cover it's actually on amazon under my name and the picture on the cover is absolutely beautiful there's this one man that's being hauled away by a bird in the sky <laughs> the other one is eyeing the magpie with um four writers that i've been working with for years and we put on a production in Edmonton and our book was nominated for an Alberta Book Award for the cover art and the internal art because we had several magpie artists submit things for the book. Magpies are books that are birds that bother people significantly in Edmonton with their raucous sounds and their screeching but yet they have beautiful colors and there's so many myths about them that we use that as a as a tying theme for the the book and then I in several publications, literary publications with short stories and poems. And I am working on a manuscript that I am calling To the Sons of Angry Mothers. That's an interesting title. What's that about? <laughs> it's about how I spent too many years being angry. And I went and I did a five-hour apology to my son's father. My son sat on the deck listening to that about how I didn't show up in the marriage and be all that I was capable of being and that our marriage might have made it if I had been. And yet I spent so many years in a place of victimhood and anger that if I hadn't been able to do some repair work with my son, our relationship wouldn't be best friend status now. So thankfully it is. When I told my son, Ruth, about the title of my book, because before it was a, a title that I actually call my workshops for writers, Writing Compassion into the Past. Yes. And, you know, we can recreate our, our past by writing compassion into it, by looking at people that we are angry at and writing letters to ourselves from them 
at the age we are now so that we're kind of looking back and and it's a unique process i have several exercises for that workshop about writing compassion into the past and so i um i was going to call the book my mistakes with men writing compassion of the past and then i was convinced that that was really not the greatest title so i went back to the drawing board and when i came up to the sons of angry mothers i phoned my son and i said guess what my new book title and he went okay lay it on me and i i said to the sons of angry mothers and he went oh <laughs> and he went oh tell me what that means for you and he said that means so many things it's going to like you know invite uh, a whole generation of of men to read to find out what you know their mothers were angry about and it's also going to tell us this generation of men that i'm in now and the younger generations how to not be one of those men that contributes to the anger of women and i went wow. i didn't even think of that <laughs> and it's going to you know invite women to go what is she saying to my son and then there is going to be a, a chapter in there about daughters because i firmly believe and this is my mission in life ruth I firmly believe that children deserve to know their parents without and not through the lens of an angry parent. Angry in what sense? I was the angry mother. I was so angry at my son's father and, and had myself held myself in a victim mentality for so long. And that robs us. Bruce Lipton actually says it in one of his writings that when we're angry, it robs us of our true power and creativity and so i'm thinking that i i want to invite other women to leave the anger behind sooner that there are ways to work through it there are ways to see that we are part of the equation in every dynamic we find ourselves in that we do create our lives uh and that we can start to create them more consciously and that there are times to be angry yes but do we need to hold on to it like i did and i say no affirm no Absolutely. Well, I think you're, you're dead right there. I think if people are hanging on to anger, it, it's a very restricted way to live. But it also, it ripples outwards and it affects people in so many different ways that, that we don't understand yet and maybe not understand it for years. But it, it shows up somewhere along, along the line, doesn't it? It does. It shows up in, in the choices we make and the ways we hold ourselves back, the ways that we believe we aren't enough. There are so many ways, like I can trace back in life and see that that, that leftover anger that I hadn't purged interrupted this relationship with this this man, when it was a romantic relationship, the ways that I didn't deal with the past interrupted this business relationship that could have been really good, that was a fantastic idea, and then it fell apart because of unresolved things in, in my life. And so looking at things and really releasing them and letting them go and finding out the parts that I played and accepting total accountability. And it all started when my sister made me write a letter about how I was at fault in my marriage breakup. And I don't swear, Ruth, so I said like, what the fire truck do you want me to do? <laughs> and that, that's the way that I have avoided teaching any of the, the nieces or the children swear words where everybody else has taught them the, the expletives of the English language very well, almost too well. And uh, I, I resisted and I refused. And she said, well, we're not going anywhere until you sit down and do that. 
and she had the car and the keys and there was somewhere I wanted to go. So I sat down and did it. And that's where my initial idea of how powerful this is to write compassion into the past. And it turns out that we can write compassion to the past for the people that we've been angry at. Is this a, a big project of yours, Rusty? Is it something that you want to carry forward after you've published your book and take it to maybe a wider audience? Yes, I do plan on speaking on stages to audiences. I do believe that I am the missing part and women like me who have become accountable for their part in the interactions are the missing part of what Tony Robbins teaches because Tony Robbins teaches amazing things, but until people see themselves as responsible for every detail in their lives, complicit, maybe not responsible, but complicit for every detail in their lives, then we are not able to access that amazing, creative, productive power to change our lives. I think you're absolutely right. I think we, as, as women of beyond a certain age, shall we say, I think we're kind of a forgotten section of society. It's like, you know, you've done your bit, you've had your children or whatever, and, you know, move over the, for the next generation. But actually, we have such power within us. I think women who have lived a life and are ready to live the second half of their lives because they no longer have children or partners, maybe, to look after. There is such enormous power within us. And I think you're right. I think it's about standing up and, and taking responsibility for who we are, what we've lived, and where we want to go next. Exactly. And, you know, I kind of joke about if I'm going to look like this in the mirror, then it better damn well be worth it. And I better be able to provide younger women a roadmap out of scenarios that I kept on trapping myself in by my own experience and by my sharing. I hope to earn the right to share solutions that will that will make it through their consciousness in a way that that messages didn't for me or that nobody spoke to me about that wisdom. I have one older woman in my life that, that said, you'll know when you get to be this age. And I said, but can we not know this before that age? And she said, it's worth a try. Well, somebody once told me that we don't acquire wisdom actually before the age of 40. Do you think that's true? I think that the way that some women are are in conversations with me and the younger women that I'm in conversations with, I think it's possible before 40, but I do think that there are some really big driving forces in a woman's life before 40. Like there is a biological need to be, and I, I say this very cautiously because I have several women friends who identify themselves as lesbians, but there's a biological need for women to be penetrated. And maybe that's an emotional, physical wanting a connection with just somebody and that the word penetration is wrong. But this is what I've heard somewhere and I'm sorry I can't quote it where it's from, but it made sense to me in looking at how I was driven a certain way. So now to combine that with what you just said about we don't acquire wisdom until after 40, I think the biology plays havoc on how aware we can be of our own power on our own before 40, but that if we really give it devoted attention, 
and time and, and have the mentors to speak to and really develop our listening and our sharing skills in circles of women of all ages, I think it can be. Maybe let's start a worldwide mastermind of women that meet that are, are varying ages to talk about that so that they can see us in all of our reality and we can see them in all of the ways that we once were and, and do that sharing at that deep level that can maybe affect change earlier. It makes me think of the idea of it takes a village to raise a child because in, in the days of tribal living, we existed as a community. So it wasn't just individual families bringing up their own children. It was every woman in the tribe pulling together and helping each other out and bringing up each other's children. So that, that sharing of knowledge and understanding and wisdom and compassion and all of that is something that we perhaps need to move back towards. Oh, isn't that a wonderful thought? Now that gives me all over shivers that I say that that's my intuition speaking. So for some people, you know, like prayer is speaking to God, but intuition is when God's speaking to us and whatever that divine being or whatever that higher source is for you, your intuition, listen to it. So when you were talking about that, that was just a magical feeling of could we be and could we recreate some of that tribal sense of having circles of women to, to meet, to connect, to share all of the wisdom from the various ages and stages of our life because young women have wisdom too they have that energy and that power and that that creative space running through every cell in their body can we share from all ages of the spectrum i think it's an amazing thought i i get shivers too thinking about it um, because your book about angry mothers is resonating with me so much as well because I think we all have the capacity to be so angry and resentful because we are taught to accept things to accept the way things are to accept authority in whatever shape or form it comes and to be complicit in in our own downfall in some ways if we have been neglected or abused in some way as women then I think we are taught as society to accept it and just get on with it don't you think yes we are and also there's i think a culture that not encourages but allows us to stay in the anger of the victim place too long i mean i was abused by four different men in my childhood then my marriage was sexually abusive but yet doctors didn't think to suggest sexual counseling then there are other things. I mean, my, my son's father and I, we traveled well together. We read amazing books together. We read Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled, The People, The Lie. We read Leo Viscalia on, on love. And we would have great conversations and we played guitar and sang together and harmonized together with the other aspects of our relationship that could have done so much better with actual counseling and doctors being a little bit wiser than saying, go home, use lubricant and relax. That was not the answer. That was not the whole answer. There was all of the, the past that was still in my body. So there are so many more answers. And that I really advise women that when you're not getting the answer that, that serves you, when you're not getting the answer that resonates, when you're not getting the answer that makes change, go pound on doors loudly. And even that is a place for anger. And go pound on them angrily and say, you are not providing me the health care or the services or the answers that I need. I am more than a textbook. I am more than a clip trite answer. 
and that is the time for anger, to act on your own behalf, but also learning how to be heard. Because in all the ways that I didn't communicate with my son's father, if you look at Sarah and Abraham, a biblical passage, and, and whether the Bible is a book you turn to or not, it is a book of sacred myths that has wisdom in it, that has allegory and metaphor and origin stories, all those things that can help us take change deep into our own psyches. And Sarah marched into the tent with Abraham when the slave girl and the son were teasing her own son. And she said, Abraham, that slave girl and her son must go. That's all she said. And she marched out of the tent. She communicated clearly, concisely, directly, not necessarily an ultimatum, but very clear as to what needed to happen. Now, Abraham wrestled with that all night long, and the next day he sent out the slave girl, the son, and servants, and there's where the Arabic race came from. Now, with Sarah communicating that way, there was no manipulation. There was no passive aggressiveness, like mm -hmm. I did with my son's father. There was no sneaking around the belt. There was no crying and all the other ways that I think women have been taught to communicate or, or model to communicate. And none of the, the ways that would really affect change in my relationship with my son's father. But when I learned how to communicate directly, things would have been so different. I was a passive aggressive, not aware of it, but that was the only power that I, that I had. It was the only power that I, I claimed, again, unconsciously. So where do we learn how to communicate? Where do we learn how to be real? Where do we learn how to show up? And if that wisdom doesn't happen until after 40, then we owe it to the younger generation to make sure that we offer them options and the wisdom from this side. I do think that's very, very valid because I think so many women are taught to stamp their feet and, and shout and scream to get what they want instead of coming from a place of real power and understanding about how to deal with people. And I think there is a lot to be learned and a lot to be taught from people like yourself, Rusty, who have been through the mill, who've, who've done it by experience. And I'll be so excited when your book comes out. When might we see it? I'm hoping by the fall, it'll be in a serious editing phase. I already have an editor chosen for my book that I've been working with and uh, have her on the calendar for that. So I have a deadline. And who's helping you edit it? Deborah Lawson. Her business is Word Circus and she's here in Edmonton as well. She's uh, a fabulous writer herself. I've admired her writing for many years and she is a top quality editor. So you know from both sides of the coin how it works and how, how tough it is. What's the toughest thing when you're writing a book? Mm. When you're involved with as many passions and as, um, projects as I am, the toughest thing is to actually put myself first to make it happen. And so one of the ways I advise writers to deal with that is to find their time that is their time to write and to create accountability by being involved in a writing group because then you produce things regularly for the writing group and you get the feedback from them then you polish it a bit more so that it ends up going to the final editing stage in a pretty polished form not rough how important is it for writers to be seen to be out there and talking to people on stage or talking to people in bookshops or talking to people on social media 
you you talked earlier on about promoting your own book, but how essential is it to be heard? And how can you, as a writer, make sure that your voice is heard amongst the millions of other voices out there? Oh, I know there are over there were six billion on the planet October twelfth, nineteen ninety nine. I don't know what we're at now, but you're right. There are billions of people out there. I think that we we start small and let it grow organically and just keep on promoting in all the ways we can, asking our friends to promote. When you do get your books in regular bookstores, have all your friends go in and take it off the shelf and put it where other people will notice. That's one little tip for guerrilla marketing. Uh, another thing is to, like go on, yeah, to go the untraditional route. And you know, when you're traveling, have some books in your trunk or your hatchback of your car and, and drop them off. Always take five or 10 with you in a suitcase. You don't need all the clothes you're going to take. Take your books with you instead. Sell them in airplanes and airports and get them out there. There's a book bub. I think that's what it is. I know I have it in my resources for my authors that work with me that will help you get your books in thousands of libraries. So that's another way. There's so many things we could talk about, but um, I'm afraid we're, we're running out of time now, Rusty. So I tell you what, why don't you come back to us when your book is out and we will talk about the book and the process and the effect that your book is having, because I have no doubt you are going to make an impact. Oh, thank you so much, Ruth. I would love to come back. And if there are any people listening that would like to have a handout that I give to authors on how to put your book together. I have that. I'm happy to offer that. They can reach out to me through my website, www.rustylehay.ca and Rusty spelled with an I, not a Y. So it's a name, not a condition. Rustylehay.ca. Fantastic. We'll make sure that goes out, Rusty. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really, really fascinating talking to you. Be happy, be inspired. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the Inspire Radio team. If you would like to feature your business in the Inspire Radio podcast or on Inspire Radio, we would love to hear from you. Simply email inspire at inspireradio.co.uk. Inspire Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. UK-based radio station with the listeners across the world once again a big thank you to you for taking the time out to listen and whatever you're doing for the rest of your day have the best day you possibly can inspire radio be happy be inspired